All right. All right. Uh, can everyone hear me clearly? Someone nod or something? Okay, good. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, may peace be upon him. So continuing our exploration of Al-Fatiha. Last we left off, we were looking at and and so a couple points we mentioned, very, very brief review is that now in the second half of the surah we're beginning we are beginning our relationship with allah uh, are you frozen or am i frozen we lost you okay can you see me now yes okay uh for the last about four or five hours my internet has been crashing very very frequently so I'm apologizing in advance. Uh, uh, that's, that's potentially going to happen multiple times. Uh, and I don't know if that means more people are using the internet or the internet is getting sick of me or what. But inshallah, we'll make it through. Okay, so repeating, uh, just very, very brief repetition from, from yesterday. Among the things that we've spoken about regarding you alone, we worship you alone, we ask for help. And we said for each of those parts, there's four built-in meanings. You alone, we do worship. You alone, we will worship. We do not worship anyone else. We will not worship anyone else. You alone, we do ask for help. You alone, we will ask for help. We do not ask for help from anyone else. We will not ask for help from anyone else. All of those are, 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 are built in. And so, <clears throat> uh, so that's one aspect. Another aspect is we spoke uh, a bit about uh, Islam, Iman, Ihsan in the context of, of uh, the ayah saying you alone we ask for help, is it okay to ask for help from other people? And in the discussion on Islam, Iman, Ihsan part of the, the, the point we were making is that it actually depends upon what level of faith someone is at. And I did receive quite a few questions from people about, about Ihsan and the most repeated question from a whole lot of people is that, you know, my, my dad, my uncle insists on going to the masjid and that they pray all the time and they're, they're uh, against all of our wishes regarding their health and such. Is that Ihsan? I said, no, that's not Ihsan uh, because they're holding Allah to account for a promise that Allah Ta'ala did not make to them. Um, and so Allah Ta'ala is saying, tie your camel and then trust Allah. And so... Uh, all of us should have trust in Allah, but we should not expect Allah to, Allah to hold a promise he did not make. But that's something we can also discuss uh, individually, uh, if you'd like. Another big thing we spoke about yesterday, and I believe the day before, was this idea of relationships as a central theme of the entirety of the Islamic tradition, this theme of relationships. We started with connection with the Ba at the very beginning, and then we spoke about on the Day of Judgment, speaking of it as Yom Din as opposed to Yom al-Fasl, which is more like Day of Judgment. And then a student, I think it was Rashidi or someone mentioned, Yom al-Hisab would truly be the Day of Accounting. And Yom al-Din is this Day of Transaction, this Day of Interaction, which each and every one of us are also going to be paying each other back for whatever we owe each other. And from there we derive that one of the, another central aspect of the entirety of the Islamic tradition is relationships. 
And so an exercise that I gave as a voluntary exercise, not a required uh, assignment like the gratitude assignment, is to note down your top, I forgot what number I gave you, either 20 or 30 relationships, and then categorize them. Uh, and then try to evaluate your role, uh, how good of a job are you doing in, in uh, these relationships. And so now I wanna add another dimension to that uh, with uh, the pronoun that is in Iyaka Na'abudu'a, in Iyaka Nasta'in. So one is Iyaka is we're speaking to Allah individually, but who is speaking? Na'budu and Nasta'inu, Nasta'in, meaning we. The ayah does not say to you alone do I worship. The ayah says to you alone we worship. To you alone do we ask for help. And so what am I saying here? Another very central uh, uh, aspect of the entirety of the Islamic tradition is the ummah. So when I am alone, I'm still praying we. You alone do we worship, you alone do we ask for help. And if I'm in a congregation, obviously we are praying we. And if you think of just about every dua you can think of uh, uh, coming, especially from the Quran, the vast majority of them, there's a few exceptions, the vast majority of them, you're praying as a we. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasna. Our Lord, atina, grant us the best of this life and the best of hereafter and protection from the fire. You know, there's a few exceptions like Rabbi zidni ilma, you know, grant me. But what we're saying here is that the vast majority of supplications we do in the Quran is we. And al-Fatiha is a we. So I don't, uh, did we define what is Sunni Islam in, in our discussions here? Okay. So we'll define what is Sunni Islam and what is Shia Islam. Okay. Sunni Islam <coughs> is not, uh, okay, in terms of the articulation of the, of the Shahada, it is the Prophet and the Quran. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Quran. Plus, how did we learn about the Prophet in the Quran? It is this, uh, plus the Sahaba. And let me just. Plus the legacy of scholars, plus the Ummah. Okay, I'll do it again, so hopefully it's all in one piece. Sunni Islam equals the prophet and Quran plus Sahaba plus scholars plus Ummah. That's Sunni Islam. What is the full title of Sunni Islam? Ahl al-Sunnah al-Jama'ah. That's the title. And so the translation of the title is the people of the Sunnah and the congregation. But what we're saying is this whole thing that is this construction that we call Sunni Islam starts with the Prophet in the Quran, peace be upon him. And you'll often hear of me saying you can't separate the Prophet and the Quran because both are coming through the Prophet, peace be upon him. 
perspective. And then how do we learn anything we know about the Prophet, peace be upon him? We learn it from the companions, the Sahaba. And then how does that get interpreted through the generations? It's both from the Ummah itself and from the scholars, interwoven with each other. Shia Islam equals the Prophet in the Quran as well. But instead of the Sahaba, it's specific descendants called the Imams. And then again, the legacy of scholars plus the Ummah. And usually the Ummah here, a bit more emphasis on the Shia Ummah. And with the Sunnis, a bit, a bit more emphasis on the Sunni Ummah. So, so Dr. Ghazi is saying, after the bait, yes, but in terms of discourse, uh, we have very little discourse from Khadija, and we have very little discourse from Fatima. And so we get into the Imams from there. The Imams are the Ahl al-Bayt, the people of the house, in the Shia tradition. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so the key point I want to draw our attention to is Ummah. And, and so one point I was repeating in the last class or the last few classes was that how I, in my heart, regard Allah, it's going to inform how I regard what happens to me in my life. Good. Okay. So, Malah saying, what about Jibreel who brought to the Prophet? Sure. What about Allah who, brought, who sent it to Jibreel? That part is assumed. I'm talking about in terms of dunya. Yeah. And so, so, so the point is that how I regard Allah in my heart is going to inform how I interpret what happens in my life. That was the point I especially was repeating recently. Uh, now, another point to think about is how I regard the ummah is more of a statement about me than it is about the ummah itself. And we're going to be revisiting that point when we get into the attributes of hypocrites in about four pages later on in the Quran. Um, as you see, we're going through. Uh, uh, so the belief is not based from origin to destination. Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, how does, seriously, okay, I'm saying, how does the tradition, what is it that makes the tradition the tradition? I mean, Jibreel is not being recorded, but it's a very important question, mashallah. Okay, so how I perceive the ummah is a reflection more of me than it is of the ummah itself. Now, we have quite a few people in this group, mashallah, who are community workers. This is especially important for you, but this is important for everybody. And so, what am I saying here? If I perceive the community as a bunch of lazy people, as a bunch of judgmental people, uh, that's more of a statement about me than it is about the community. Why? Because the community is so large, the ummah is so large, that we have every type of person. And so, what I'm noticing in the community is more of a reflection of me than it is the community itself because the community also has the opposite of whatever, whatever I'm seeing. And so what should my default be? My default should be love for the community. And there's a few ways to, to express this. Uh, I should aspire to have love for Allah. I should aspire to have love for the Prophet, peace be upon him. 
And then by extension, I should aspire to have love for those whom the Prophet, peace be upon him, loved, which starts with the companion and his family. And then by extension, the companions as the Ummah of that time. And so, as is the case with a family full of siblings, you're going to have all kinds of different personalities, uh, sometimes bumping heads, sometimes all together, sometimes relaxed together, sometimes uh, 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 colliding. That's the Ummah. It's this big whole mix of everything. But the default you have to have is love for the Ummah. If you do not have love for the Ummah, the inevitable result is not going to be hatred, it's going to be condescension towards the Ummah. This is vitally important for community workers because if you're a community worker, if you're driven by love for the Ummah, that's one thing. If you're not driven by love for the Ummah, then you're going to get frustrated by the Ummah. What about the prophets before Muhammad, peace be upon him? Very important question, uh, Musab. I would say that's included in belief in the prophet, peace be upon him. It includes, by extension, belief in all the prophets that came before him. Just like your, uh, your dad's question about Jibreel, it's, it's implied. Very good question. Okay. Repeat your point about condescension versus hatred, please. Okay, so condescension, when you're at the community level, as a community service, you're going to find yourself thinking, if, you don't, if you're not driven by love for the Ummah, if you're driven by love for the Ummah, you're going to include the Ummah with all of its vulnerabilities and complications and, and fragility and everything else. Okay. If you're not driven by love for the Ummah, yeah, then as you do work, your attitude without expressing it is going to be that I'm doing a favor for them. That's condescension. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does, but it's not black and white. You do have a spectrum in between, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we've been saying about pretty much every single issue, you know, fear and hope and such. What is prescription for somebody who has congestion for the Ummah? Uh, uh, a physician, you're going to have to translate for us what congestion is. But like uh, what you said, uh, if they're condescending. Oh, condescension. Okay, it's all good. Well, you're a physician, so I saw con uh, congestion, and I thought, all right, medical diagnosis. Okay, so I like how some of the physicians are smiling. So, so if you are developing conde uh, <laughs> condescension for the ummah, if you feel that you are, okay, there's a couple, a couple, uh, yeah, thanks, boy, a couple <laughs> sentiments to also develop. Number one, uh, what is the root word of the word ummah? Um, the um meaning mother. It is your root. Yes, exactly, Nashi Moshallah, Dr. Nashi. Um, and so one is to also reframe how you're placing yourself within, within the ummah. And I'll give you another, uh, uh, another way that can perhaps be a motivation. If you go, if you turn very briefly to Surah 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, and I believe it's Ayah 14. And this is the section on hypocrites, which we're going to, at our speed, we're probably going to get to sometime, you know, in November. But um, uh, no, Ayah 13. Okay, Ayah 13. What is, what is, when it is said to them, Aminu, believe kama amanannas, the way the people believe. They say, shall we believe as the fools believe? Kama amanasufaha. And then what does Allah Ta'ala say? They're actually the fools, they don't know. And so what am I saying here is that whatever it is that I am seeing of the Ummah is more of an explanation of myself. And so my goal, COVID is going to be there. Okay, yeah, okay. 
Thanks, man. Optimism, hope. Okay, uh, so my goal then is to fight that within myself. If I'm feeling condescension toward the Ummah, chances are my problem of arrogance is not limited to my perception of the Ummah. It is probably my interaction with other people as well. Good. So I'm saying it's an internal thing I need to develop and to work to heal. So far, so good. Okay. Now, uh, so what else do I need to do? I need to bring myself to a point where I really see them as vital for my own salvation. Let me ask you this question on a tangent, but similar to this. Okay, I may defer to a little bit. Where would you uh, uh, put Yunus alayhi salam's reaction to his ummah or his uh, people? I'd say Yunus alayhi salam uh, seemed to be, uh, and I'll get to your question, Mario, yours is also a very important question. Uh, it seemed to be that he got disappointed and disgusted, leaves, and then what happens? He gets sent back, right? You know, and he's making the dua, la ilaha illa anta subhanaka. Uh, there's no God but you. Indeed, I was the oppressor. I was among the oppressors. And so I think that's a very good sunnah for us to be aware of. Uh, Maria, uh, so can't those feelings ever be ba uh, valid based on experiences? Absolutely. As I'm sure anybody on this group who did, has done community work, you know, I have more than uh, enough experience of, of people disliking me in all kinds of different ways, but that is not the whole month, right? You know, that uh, I'm sure anybody in here who, who has received any sort of abuse or tyranny from people in the community, whether it's the head of an institution, uh, like the head of a mosque, or people in the mosque, or in private prayer spaces, or, or receive criticism, that's still not the whole month. And I would, I would also suggest aspiring to reach the point that even the haters are, are people to derive love for, that they don't know any better. My famous, my favorite line in all of the Bible is also a hadith. My favorite line in all the Bible is Jesus saying to, to in their tradition, the Father, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And we have almost exactly the same dua that the prophet, peace be upon him, is making regarding, you know, regarding the community. You know, yeah, Allah, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And he is speaking about people who are abusing him. So that's what I'm suggesting to, to aspire to. Okay, uh, this question. So as Muslims living in America, our day-to-day -day, uh, interactions with the Ummah is limited. So does the same philosophy apply to us when we judge the broader population? I would say absolutely. I'd say it applies to if you're in Chicago and you're looking at the Ummah of Chicago, or if you're in Chicago looking at the Ummah of the whole world, is that due in, is that dua in Quran or in Hadith? It's in the Hadith. I can, I can find the actual text uh, uh, if you'd like, inshallah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to draw our attention to that regarding we. This becomes especially important. I think innately we all understand that right now with the quarantine right? That if someone is acting individualistically, and what I mean by that is that they're disregarding the quarantine and living their, their exterior life, then all of us are suffering for it. Yeah. And so uh, part of the outlook of our society, our modern society, especially our American society, is this rigid individualism. 
good. And there's obviously individualism in our tradition because you're going to be facing God alone. Good. Yet here we still have responsibility. So even when we're speaking about the example of the baby suffering, I focus on the suffering of the baby and not as much on the, on the obligations that are on the witnesses of the people who are suffering. That's our obligations. And then we'll talk later on about how. But the short answer is that it looks at like your sphere of influence, starting with your neighbors. Like the prophet, peace be upon him, said that he's been taught so many obligations that we have towards our neighbors, regardless of their beliefs. We have so many obligations toward our neighbors that he even thought we're going to have to uh, include them in our wills, in inheritance. And so the point to think about is that you are always an I, but you are also always part of a we. How should we relate this to our view of non-Muslims? What disposition uh, do we take towards them as per al-Fatiha? So in terms of obligations to neighbors, that applies to them whether they're Muslim or not, right? In terms of al-Fatiha, now we get into the next ayah, which will be part of, uh, part of your answer, Ahant, uh, inshallah. So you alone, we worship. You alone, we ask for help. Guide us on the straight path. Okay. This is also, in the context of the surah, the real point that's being made when we say, you alone, we ask for help. When I discussed it yesterday, I spoke about it in terms of all worldly matters. Okay, what if you get a flat tire? What if your car breaks down? In the context of the surah, when we're saying, you alone, we ask for help, it's actually, you alone, we ask for help in guidance. Nobody else can give us guidance except for Allah. The Prophet, peace be upon him, cannot give us guidance. Only Allah can give us guidance. So in the context of the surah, when we're saying you alone, we ask for help, the actual uh, ask is in the next ayah. What are we asking for? For guidance. Ihdina, once again, we, guide us. And so, so to answer your question, Ahant, uh, the default opinion of this would be that it's the ummah speaking. But if, you, if we include in our hearts our non-Muslim family members and friends, uh, why not include them? as a prayer for guidance for them as well. Sirat al-Mustaqim. Okay. Uh, how are we defining neighbors, Ramia? So here, at the very least, it's the people who live next to you. And then beyond that, it would be very cultural. It could be all the people on your street. It could be the people in your locale. Uh, and so, so that is an open definition. Jiran. Okay. <laughs> Sirat al-Mustaqim. Straight path. Now, forget Islam for a second if that is possible. Forget Islam for a second. When you think of straight path, like in terms of GPS or something, what are some ideas that come to mind? Anyone, feel free to type it here or speak, or I can call in random people. You know, What comes to mind? Uh, a line graph, very nice, Musab. Destination is clear. Judgment day, oh, Omar, Omar al-Hadr just accelerated all the way. Easiest path, nice. Simple, easy, quickest point from A to B. Uncluttered path, shortest point between two places. I'd agree with all of them. Now, what are we defining here as a straight path? Obstructions omitted from a route. Yes, straight into the point, all of these. Now, as you and I know, as you and I know, straight path, consistency, another nice one equals Islam. So now ask yourself, when you imagine Islam, do you imagine it the way you just uh, described straight path here? Good. 
you know, consistency, easiest, most direct, straight to the point, all these things. So another principle to think about, just like I said, how I regard Allah in my heart is going to influence how a straight path to God, definitely. That we'll talk about, uh, Tamir, you know, Marshall, you're half a step ahead of us. We'll get into that in a second. Like, what is the destination? But how I regard Allah Ta'ala in my heart is going to inform how I look at what happens in my life. And then I also said how I look at the Ummah is actually a projection from within myself onto the Ummah. It's more of a statement about me than it is about the Ummah. Now, previous verse, is it not wudu for worship and nasta'in for help in dunya? Uh, yes, it is help in dunya, but in the context of the surah, it's guidance. Meaning just looking at the, the structure of the surah. So you're not wrong, but I'm saying in the context of the surah, it's, it's uh, guidance. Okay, so next point to think about, how I regard Islam in my heart is going to inform how I practice Islam. And I suspect for the vast majority of us, especially those on the younger side, Islam is viewed more as a burden. And what I'm suggesting here is all the depictions we just gave for Islam, the shortest point, the uncluttered path, the quickest path, the easiest path, try to imagine Islam that way. So one part of this whole course has been, how do I perceive Allah? Another part has been, how do I perceive like the central aspects of this tradition? We've talked about connection and relationships and gratitude. And we've talked about, uh, uh, well, I mean, we talked about, uh, of course, mercy. And now, how do I picture this Islam is going to inform how do I practice it, especially in the long term? Because those of us who are older know that our kids are going to inherit how we understand and, uh, and picture and visualize and think of Islam. So do you think of it as a burden that my life would be so easier if I didn't have to do all this? Or do you picture the opposite, that because of Islam, my life is easier? How do I know how I regard Islam? Uh, I think just uh, imagine whatever Islam is uh, uh, in your mind and, and try to describe what you're imagining. Do you imagine it as something light? Do you imagine it as something heavy? Do you imagine it as something relieving? So one way that often works with younger people is to imagine Islam as something not akin to physical fitness that I can live a life without physical fitness and have an easier time. Good. So, uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, in, this, in this ayah, we are, we are asking for guide to the straight path. Yeah. We are not asking that, you know, guide to the straight path with easiness. Okay, keep going. So, so I think that's, so the answer to the dua is to guide to the straight path and the, the other surah is going to come down and stare that, you know, Allah Allah said, I, I will test you. Yeah, that's episode. not what I'm talking about. I'm saying uh, the test is going to be what happens in your dunya, right? The first test we said is obedience. Mm. Uh, but what I'm saying is how do you picture the whole of Islam itself? Like when you think of Islam, is life inside Islam easier or is life outside of Islam easier? And so what I'm suggesting is think of it like physical fitness. 
and you have person number one who is doing all the physical fitness. So diet, cardio, stretching, weights, whatever it is, right? And then you have person number two who's skipping all of that and thinks, okay, I have all this free time. Okay. After 30 years, who's going to be in better shape? Obviously, the physical fitness person. And so I'm suggesting an easy analogy is to associate Islam with physical fitness, except that it's, for lack of a better term, spiritual fitness, community fitness, and such. Yeah. So it is. it does mean it's going to include struggle. Yeah. Meaning the only true easy life is going to be paradise. But what I'm saying is what is the worth that you feel of Islam? Is it a burden that you wish you don't have? Does it make sense, Malahat? Might be easier with Islam, but we tend to think make things a lot more complicated and uh, more complicated. A lot of things in life. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Mohi, uh, Doctor Mohi. This is uh, this is part of the point of a class like this. That on the same point, I'm giving these these cores, and I'm hoping in the process as we go deeper and deeper, it's going to shed a lot of things that we might have taken as primary. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so guide us on the straight path. <laughs> Mustaqim, which we often define as straight, it's almost like established. Yeah. Now, what is the sirat referring to in commentary? One is, so one question is essentially, what is the destination of the straight path? So a couple destinations. Thanvir mentioned the ultimate one, which is the destination to Allah. Yeah. Exactly, Musa, the destination to Allah. Another is the destination to the day of judgment. Now, here's a question to think about. <clears throat> Suppose I am doing something, scenario number one, so I don't get in trouble with Allah on the day of judgment. So suppose I'm doing something so that I don't go to hell. Good. Suppose person number two is saying, I'm doing something so that I go to heaven. Third person, I'm doing something to please Allah. Which of those three, or which one or two or three of those is wrong? I'm doing something so I don't go to hell. Next person, I'm doing something so I go to heaven. Third person, I'm doing something to please Allah. None are wrong. Exactly. Um, what's Iran? Okay, so... So none of those are wrong. Meaning in your day, there's some things, yeah, I know I'm teasing. There's some things you might be doing uh, out of seeking the pleasure of Allah. That's the best of the three, yeah. to seek the pleasure of Allah. But the other two are also good because different motivations will work at different times. Sometimes you're gonna do something just for the reward in paradise. Sometimes you're gonna do something uh, Someone needs to put their microphone down. Everybody's on mute. Uh, I'll mute everybody again. Okay. Uh, Dia, any, it might be something uh, at your uh, era. And, um, so I might be doing something, uh, seeking the pleasure of Allah. That's the best. Secondarily, it's still good that I might be doing something just to get the reward of paradise, or I might be do some, doing something to avoid hell. Those are also good intentions. The best is to seek the pleasure of Allah. Okay. Now, really briefly, because we're already uh, passing the 30-minute mark, go to Surah, if you have a Quran or a Mus'haf or a translation in front of you, go to Surah 4, 
and Surah 4, and I believe it's Ayah 67 through 70. And we're going to have some definitions of the straight path. So I'm just scrolling up, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Probably would have been better if I used a book. Okay. Ayah 68. <clears throat> 68, so Surah 4. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> so I 68. And we would have guided them to the straight path. And then the definitions of the straight path. First definition of the straight path, I 69. Those who obey Allah and the Messenger. So what does a straight path mean? It's obedience of Allah and the Messenger. Good. And these are the people that we have favored. And then we have four types of people. That if you are on the straight path, you will be one or more of the four types of people. Nabiyin, Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. Nabiyin, Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. So Nabiyin, we know, is prophets. That line, peace be upon them, is done. Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. So what does it mean to be Siddiq? So we call Abu Bakr Siddiq. It means you recognize the truth when you see it. So why is Abu Bakr called Siddiq? One reason is because uh, when the Prophet peace upon him, was calling people to Islam, he had no questions. He got called by the Prophet, he entered immediately. And another reason is when the Prophet peace upon him, went on the night journey, and then he came back and told everybody what happened, some people were like, okay, how this is just ridiculous. And they go to Abu Bakr and they say, you know what your friend is saying now? And Abu, Abu Bakr said, if he said it, then it's true. So what did he say? And then, he, uh, then they explain the whole night journey. And then Abu Bakr says, the Quran is more amazing than the night journey. I believe these words are coming from the sky. That's more amazing. So Siddiq is to recognize the truth when you see it. And to embrace it. Are we supposed to be wary of the beliefs of the people before us? Uh, like Abraham was, how is following them different? Um, I'm... I'm confused by the connection to what we're talking about. Okay, uh, so if you can explain that a little bit more, I'd appreciate it. Uh, uh, so Siddiqin, Shuhada, martyrs. But why do we call a martyr a shaheed? It's because they have borne witness with the ultimate thing they possess, which is their lives. Okay, so which means people who live the path. And what else? What is the fourth type of person? Salihin. So what is Salih? Salih usually is translated as righteous. It's someone who is so upright that people around them feel compelled to be upright. 
So we'd say thoroughly upright character, for lack of a better term. So what am I saying? These are the four types of people on the straight path exactly. That if you are on the straight path, which is what? Obedience of Allah and the Prophet, peace be upon him. The consequence is going to be, you're going to be one or more of those four people, but being a prophet is, is, already, take, is already finished. You're going to be one or more of these other three people. And being a martyr means giving your life before Allah, 100%. Exactly. But it doesn't mean you've died. It means giving your life before Allah your life fully for Allah while you're alive. Yeah. And so one consequence is that you are, you are getting clarity of guidance. You're recognizing the truth when you see it. That's a consequence of obedience of Allah, the Prophet. A second consequence is you are living the path more and more thoroughly. And a third consequence is firm, upright character that is so strong that people feel compelled to have upright character around you. Are these hierarchical? No. Does the word Saleh have anything to do with the Prophet Saleh? Uh, perhaps that's, that's beyond my knowledge. So. Okay. Now we also have at the very end of Ayah 69 a possible way, and we'll end it here, a possible way to develop that process. Because obedience is one of, is a test, and sometimes I'm better at obeying, sometimes I'm not. And what excellent companions are these? So one way for me to be on the path is to put myself in the company of these people. Okay. Which goes back to the point of the ummah. Is to find those people, and then by osmosis, I will be like them if I spend time with them. Can a monophic be considered a siddiq? Uh, no, uh, a monophic would literally be in a way an opposite uh, 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 of a siddiq. Because a monophic, what you'll see in the attributes of monophic is they're hypocrites, but they don't even realize it. I attend, they don't realize it. I have 12, they don't realize it. I, I have 13, they don't realize it. Um, uh, but explore that point further. Uh, what about a non Muslim? A non Muslim, uh, that's a big question that we'll be getting to a little bit later on. Um, Right now, we're still speaking within the context of, of, of the Ummah. Meaning, can a non-Muslim have, have very upright character? Absolutely. Can a non-Muslim uh, 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 recognize truth? That, uh, I'd say, for the most part, a good non-Muslim absolutely can be, right? And can a non-Muslim be walking a path of deen? Seems to be. But I'm still distinguishing between that uh, from someone who has actually put themselves on, on, on the path, right? Okay. So we are saying the last big point is that a way to become like these people is to put ourselves in the company. So you're all familiar with the narration where the prophet, peace be, up, peace be upon him, is reported to have said that your, your friends to you, your companions to you, are like a perfume salesperson or a blacksmith. And if you spend time with a perfume sales, a salesman, you will start to smell really good. If you spend time with a blacksmith, sooner or later you're going to stink and you're going to be covered with soot. That's how you influence your friends. That's how your friends influence you. So if you're not under any four of these, you're not on the straight path? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you are uh, on the straight path, you'll become one of these. But if you're not, it doesn't mean you're not on the straight path. It just means you're not that fully developed on the straight path. Meaning these are an inevitable result. Okay, we will stop right here. Any last questions about anything at all? 
Assalamu alaikum. I have a question real quick, if you don't yeah. mind. I was uh, reading something in Al-Ghazali's uh, 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 book. He had mentioned that the subtleties of the Quran can have problems getting... Um, okay, I'm back. I'm back. Um, last thing I heard was okay. the subtleties of the Quran, and then the internet crashed. So, okay. So I, I was reading Al Ghazali's book, and he had he had mentioned that the like like subtleties, you know, uh, of the Quran, you know, many uh, uh, of which that we you know discuss in this class can have like problems entering somebody's heart, you know, if they have uh, like uh, like filth or like veils or you know, uh, other things. So, you know, what do you like suggest, you know, uh, that we do to remove those, you know, barriers as we're going you know, through this class? And of course, the, the homework, you know, you assign can be a certain strategy. I don't know, just anything else. So, I mean, so, so fundamentally, the question is about purification of the heart. And the foundational answer for purification of the heart is to increase acts of worship. That's, that's the short, short answer. Right. But we can discuss further things. Olfat, uh, your question is, uh, and I'm having a little bit of trouble. When we were talking about how the way we perceive Allah in our hearts will inform how we interpret what happens in our lives, doesn't part of that include what we were taught about Allah, how we internalize some of the messages about ourselves and that we have received as children? 100%. And that's why I teach classes like this. That's exactly the point. Just like I think uh, Tabir made the point yesterday for a whole lot of the Ummah, when we think of Allah, we think of Al-Jabbar and Al-Tahar, because that's what we're taught. And that's why I teach classes like this, is to help us unlearn all the destructive stuff that we're taught as deen. So I agree wholeheartedly. Regarding different types of knowledge, some forms of knowledge are clear how to implement, others not so much. But it takes a long time for it to reach the heart, and hopefully it does at some point would that not be considered transformative knowledge no no if the goal if someone is making the goal to implement it they're not going to see the transformation right away right so let's say i take you know uh, a dosage today and i take a small dosage tomorrow and i take a small dosage the next day after a long period of time i'm going to see the effect because just like i said with the gratitude assignment that if you can do it very consistently almost on a daily basis and almost on a daily basis, I'm even saying four times a week, you know. Then in six to nine months, then you're going to start seeing the effect. So, yeah, absolutely. Transformation. If transformation happens overnight, then it's probably not a transformation. Just like everyone comes back from Hajj, I have changed everything, right? And all the converts in this group can also attest to the fact that what's the instruction that I tell them over and over again? Don't change anything. Because the convert will be full of zeal, wants to do everything right away, and then they crash because human nature doesn't work that way. Uh, let's see, very nice, maybe part of, uh, okay, I think uh, Malahat's telling a joke, but it sounds like an uncle joke. No, I'm not, I'm saying that, you know, that it, does, it doesn't matter because see, Umar Azizullah a transformation uh, came right away. So the change, change can be sudden, transformation can have a phases. That works, yeah. I mean, I would suggest that the way we see Umar's transformation, I think, 
Uh, I don't think he transformed as much as we think uh, because the core of his personality was the same personality before, before his change. But, uh, but still, the point is fair. Any other questions, inshallah? Okay. Okay, inshallah. Okay. Uh, question. Um, I'm going to make a very quick poll here. Actually, no, let's just do this. Uh, I still plan to have class tomorrow, inshallah. Uh, uh, if you, uh, please say yes if you think you would be in class tomorrow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, okay, okay. We will have class, inshallah, tomorrow. Yeah. And I'll still have the recordings. Some people are saying the recordings are working. Some no, they're not working. Uh, all the links that you sent me now. And then some people are saying the recordings are not working. Okay. Um, so that I have to figure out because they're working for some people. Literally. Yeah. Here. So, so uh, that maybe, part it's of, maybe it's indicative of how close we are to Allah. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasafiruka to be lake. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nasafiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wanatubu ilaik. And we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasafiruka to be lake. Hannah, right now the, the, the plan is to have class on the weekends. If there's massive protest, then I'm happy to to oblige. Uh, it's just that I'm guessing for most of us, nothing is going on beyond, you know, the chaos inside the house and such. What are weekends? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, May Allah reward you all, inshallah. And I will see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum.